Okay, my dear, there's a television show, which I've never seen, I'll admit, called Modern Family. Yes. Heard of it? Very famous show, yes. Heard it's funny? Never saw. You? Have not seen it. However, there is a true modern family alive and well today in Haley, Idaho, according to Google. Check this out. Idaho. Demi Moore. We all know she lives there, right? I don't know that. No? (laughs) I don't know that. She divorces Bruce Willis. Yes. Okay. Yes. Marries Ashton Kutcher. Yes. Lives in Idaho. Yes, Of all places. Maybe. Three daughters. Yes. I think with Bruce, now is divorced from Ashton Kutcher. Were they married? Were they just together? I don't know. Where is this going? Anyways, she's living there today. They say isolating with her three daughters. Not only is she living with them, she's living with, get this, Bruce Willis, her ex-husband, his wife, and their two daughters. A modern family. What are you guys doing? The Landscapes and Pancakes Podcast. Wow. There are a bajillion aspects to the green industry. All right. I just want this podcast to be real. <laughs> Interesting. It's not as fun. What? But I think people go through this. I know. None of it makes sense. Seriously. We are the ones designing and we are the ones building. We respect each other. Respect. All right. So I have a bone to pick with you. This is, this is I think, becoming... <laughs> becoming very typical of our podcast. I'm always, I feel like I'm always in trouble every time we start recording oh, yeah, This lately. is the first time that I've said this. Really? Yes. Okay. No, this is the first time I said this. I feel like there's a lot of bone picking going on. Well, if you don't start to shape up, there's going to be. Mm, that probably won't happen. So listen, we were having a conversation the other day about a meeting that I had with a client mm-hmm. and you got pretty animated. Well, yeah, I mean, you got Me? kind of upset about the fact that they wanted to remove something from the plan. Oh. And I feel like this has been happening more and more with you. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to have a therapy session about the fact that, you know, design is a give and take between us and our clients. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate design is always based on a lot of different considerations, not only aesthetic and function, but also budget. Yes. And so I do feel like my role is to fight for the things that are important, but also make sure it's a team effort between us and our clients to compromise when needed. What say you? Sure. I just, I guess lately I want to fight a little more for what I know is um, important aesthetically and function functioning. Now, that particular... This is kind of difficult on that particular issue because you're talking about that little bulb of stonework that came out. Yeah. That actually served as a drain as well because it was pervious and because of the grading that we had to do with everything that was happening on that site. Right. And I think that was on me not either having explained that clearly enough or making, you know, I didn't. I think I didn't explain the fact that not only was it relating to different parts of the design, but it was also functional in its drainage aspect. Yeah, that was, so that's, that's a little tough in that it was serving two functions. And on that particular design, that shape kind of flowed through the pool and kind of came out on the other side for one continuous kind of biomorphic awesomeness. Right. So, but, but it's not the first time that, that we've had this conversation. No, no, no. I think, and, and maybe it's because we are where we're at now, you know, 
don't year, know what that means. The years that we have <laughs> in, the years that we have in. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a growing frustration with me over the last few years. Not so much this year. I think we're kind of getting our mojo back a little bit, but we kind of fallen into this um, scenario where we're kind of feeding the beast and the beast being the construction end. So the design is almost supplementing in a way the construction. So stuff's kind of getting dumb, not dumbed down, but we're losing some of our creative vibe because we got to feed the overhead, which is the construction and the labor. And your time is, is, is less so now with homeschooling with the kids and everything. No, I, no, see, I I feel like I, I know. I feel like you're stuck. I think there was a point where perhaps I was being too budget conscientious in a way. Well, I think you are right from the beginning. I think but lately, I, need to be. I know, but I think lately you've been, you're almost trying to justify budget going into a meeting without even sometimes knowing what the budget is. No, but my job is to always give options. Yes. And yes. you have to understand that in no, no, doing no, no, no. that, we're not always going to end up with the option that we want. I do understand that. And I think you're really good at that. And that's why you're. It's not your personality, but your approach to that is very much needed when you have me as a business partner, because <laughs> I'm just, you, you, you tend to reel it back in, which is really important and you do a great job of it. I just think we need to stand our ground a little bit more for what we know is, is functioning obviously, but what we know is aesthetically important to that job so it's a fine line right of how far to push the client right it is a fine line. but they do need to be pushed they some more than others they do but i think i would appreciate a more i won't say thoughtful but a more kind of paused response from you in terms of listening to me about what the client wants and what is going to fit into their overall budget? Because that is usually. I don't the think budget's the case on that one, though, bud. No, 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 no. I understand that. I understand that. But I'm saying I would appreciate a more measured approach from you when I am discussing changes to the plan. And perhaps at that point, we can have just a better conversation about how to save things and why before you kind of get too frustrated. And I, in return, <laughs> I, in return, will go into meetings with a better understanding from you of what's most important to you in terms of aesthetics and function. Okay. Does that seem fair? Yeah. No, I, and, and I think it's all job-based. And, and I do think... And client-based. It is client-based. So we, for anyone listening... We do a range of projects where we may do a $60,000 job, but we may do a $400,000 job. And in both instances, but you know what? In both instances, we still have to fight for things. And in both instances, there are still budgets. So anytime that you, I understand the budgets, but anytime you fought for something, has it ever come back in you in a negative way? And I am speaking to the email that we just received like a half an hour ago where you admittedly fought for quite a few things on one particular project and one particular wall 
which was in the tens of thousands of dollars. And our client has come back multiple times to say, you, in fact, Samantha, were correct. Right. So it was worth fighting for. And I know it's not comfortable and it's easy for me. Well, it's not comfortable. Let's, it's not. <laughs> I mean, let's get down it, to it. it. It's, it's easy for me because I don't have the, those face to faces with right. the clients. Right. I just, ultimately, I want to please everybody. I want to please the client and I want to please you. Um, and so I am trying to strike a balance between yeah. everybody. <laughs> Yep, you are just <laughs> caught in the middle. I am, I am. Well, I have a feeling that maybe once we get into our conversation with Sarah Meyer from Green Thumb Sam, which I'm super excited about. Boise. I know. that. By the way, that's the reference to Idaho in the beginning. Neil couldn't resist. <laughs> and we did, a, we, did, we did a take because I was really enunciating Idaho. And it didn't didn't come off. Funny little joke that didn't work there. But anyway, Sarah is, you know, a landscape designer as well, among other things. And I do think that she will, I don't know, maybe she'll give us some feedback. Maybe she can help us. Maybe Mm. she'll be our therapist today on this one. What do you think? I hope so. We need it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We better get in here now. All right. Well, we are super excited today to have Sarah Meyer here from Green Thumb Sam. Sarah is a landscape designer and a certified horticulturalist. And if I might say, a kick-ass graphic artist. That's how I would explain it. (laughs) You very much are. As a matter of fact, we were looking through your Instagram page this this morning and I just said to Neil, I just went, oh, (laughs) it's just amazing what she does. It's just beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind. So inspiring. Really, really. So thank you for joining us. Yeah. Um, all right. So my first question is a really important one. Wow, you're jumping right in. I, I, just yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Let's, we got to get right. into it. So Sarah, what do Aaron Paul, Sarah Palin, and Ernest Hemingway all have in common? Oh, boy. That's a good question. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> They're all from Boise. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> Imagine that. Isn't Google wonderful? Google is wonderful. That's what I found in my Boise, you know, little information check today. Right. I so, was all excited. Yeah, we had to look it up. So you're from Boise, Idaho, or at least you work, you're working there and living there now. Living there now. I'm originally from the Seattle area and lived there my whole entire life. And then we moved here. This will be our fifth spring in Boise. Oh, and, wow. Okay. Yeah. What brought you to Boise? And is it different from so, Seattle? Well, oh, it but. is so <laughs> different. Um Um, At our last place where we were living, we were probably about 80 feet above sea level. And now we are at about 2,600 feet above sea level in a, um, basically in a desert. A desert? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, in the valley. Okay. Like dry desert? So, Um, yeah, you would, you would consider this what's called a steppe region. So it's a high desert and we receive about 11 inches of year annually 11 wow. inches of rain really of so, rain yeah i'm sorry yes 11 inches of rain annually it's crazy so and seattle's insane right i mean they get a ton of rain oh so much more like gray and rainy um nine months out of the year easily so it was amazing moving here and being in the sunshine all the time we thought we were on vacation for the first <laughs> three months no problem that's interesting because we, we were we were in uh telluride remember we, we ran into people on the trail hiking mm-hmm and we were talking about how cold it is in Colorado, high up in the Rockies. And she was from New England, where we're from, actually from Massachusetts, where we live. And she said the difference, though, in the winter is striking because it's very gray here. 
Like we have entered the gray season. And if you, <laughs> if you if were you, to look outside our window, you would you, see that. <laughs> if you look at our, our Instagram account, you can almost tell, aside from the leaves not being on the trees, what time of year it is because we'll have, you know, 20 posts in a row where it's just gray and dull. And she was talking about how sunny it is there in the winter, which makes a huge difference when it's cold out, obviously. Oh, it's amazing. I had no idea that I probably had seasonal affective disorder <laughs> ah. for all of my life. And I, I never understood why I got so um, kind of sad and depressed when fall would roll around. I thought it was just because working retail that Christmas lasted for three months, but that wasn't the case. It was that it was just <laughs> terribly bleak all the time. Wow, that's interesting. And that, one thing I had seen in my my research is from Boise as well was the, I think it was 2017 through 2018, they said it was the fastest growing um, city in the country. Yes. And Idaho, yes. I think, is one of the fastest growing states. Yes, it's it's beautiful here. And just for the reasons that you like Telluride, it is just gorgeous here. We have the foothills 10, 15 minutes away. We can do all this hiking and mountain biking. And there's a a path along the green belt um, of the Boise River that you can bike on. And the mountains are a half hour, 45 minutes away. You can be skiing or snowboarding or sledding just, just like that. It's amazing. That's awesome. That is amazing. So what brought you though from Seattle to Boise? I mean, it seems like a big move. It's a huge move and we didn't know anybody here and we had no family here. Um, My husband works in fisheries. So RFID tags that are in dogs and cats, they're like in your dog. Mm -hmm. They put those in fish and they track fish um, all up and down rivers and streams and wherever the science needs to be recorded. And so he makes the detection systems and installs them and maintains them on the Columbia River, on dams, on tributaries. And he was doing this um, in Olympia, Washington, and the best company in the world who does that is here in Boise. And so they said, hey, wanna come try us out? Cool. That is very cool, that is very cool. Now, were you, were you designing landscapes um, in Seattle at the time? Oh yeah, most definitely. I started out um, designing in 2001. I had worked at a retail nursery. Um, I kind of got poached from another nursery job that I was at. I was a Malone's landscape and nursery and they had a full on design build. So I used to roll up the designer's plans and tuck them away. And um, someone from Hayes had come in and like secret shop me and knew that I knew all my plants and was like, Hey, come on over. And it was a really nice, um, big retail garden center nursery on the east side of Seattle. And um, the owner was very, very loving to me and said, in return of two years of your time, I will pay for um, you to go to school for environmental horticulture and landscape design. And I said, okay, because I'd already been going to school um, to get all my credits in. So I did that and then I started my business in 2001 and I'd work full time and then I'd go to people's houses after work and tell them what to do, tell them what plants to put here or there, or if they were shopping at the nursery, I would, um, I'd say, okay, show me a picture or draw me a sketch. How, how many feet do we have to work with? And just go lay out, you know, like a 30 foot section of their yard by grabbing whatever evergreen shrubs or deciduous shrubs or perennials and laying them out. And they're like, can you just follow me home? sure sure no problem so I started in 2001 yeah oh it's totally creepy and to think that I was you know 1920 at the time was kind of 
I, I look back now and I think, man, that was kind of sketchy, but <laughs> they were always good people. Plant people are good people usually. Yeah. So. Well, Samantha goes to meetings quite a bit and I'm always telling her, let me know where you're going. Give me the address, answer your phone. Cause yeah, people, you know, people. <laughs> That's why we have a shared Google calendar. My husband can always see where I there am. There you go. <laughs> right. Well, I do yep. share. I do share the calendar, but Neil never looks at it. Yeah. So that's a problem. That and email minor are, details. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's my downfall. Um, yeah. So I did notice, you know, on your website that you had worked at the retail garden center, but you said that you were a plant buyer. And when I saw that, I thought, oh my God, dream job. So were you oh helping my. the nursery figure out what was what they were going to buy for the season? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We would go to gift shows, trade shows oh and do God. all of the giftware stuff. Um, we had a huge Christmas display where we would do say like 20 themed Christmas trees a year and I would light them. And I think, you know, the first two or three years that I worked there, I ended up working there for 15 years. But the first two or three years, I got myself through the winter and not laid off by um, lighting wired wireframe deer and lighting Christmas trees and decorating. <laughs> but yes, I, you know, of course, I started out watering plants and, and sweeping and everything. But um, I was a perennial buyer for about 10 years. And I worked really closely with the shrub and tree manager. And I did all of the displays around the nursery. I did all of the signage, which is why my lettering is so good because I was the quote unquote art department. <laughs> I nice. took care of the 2,500 gallon koi pond. That was my job to test the water. And, and I learned all about irrigation and you know bald and burlap and potting up bare root and how to deal with people and customers. And it was, it was amazing. Well, I, but I have to go back to this plant buying thing because I'm, yes. I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of that. So Samantha I just wants to spend other people's money on plants, <laughs> I think. I do. It's the root of this. I do. It's amazing. <laughs> right? So, but how would you know, because this is something I've always been curious about, um, more so I think in the retail world, how would you kind of gauge what might be popular? Because, you know, there's always new cultivars coming out of plants. So how would you sort of figure out what people wanted is what it is it based on what you sold last year is it a hunch well can i add on oh. to that question because i i found that plants get hot for a while too so i don't know if that's something you've experienced which kind of blew my mind when i first figured that out you know plants trend like shoes oh yeah, yeah. yes like <laughs> shoes they definitely go hot uh, one of the biggest things was knowing what product you were going to get from what grower and what vendor and what it was going to look like on the bench so being a tad bit OCD, I had a shade side and a sun side and everything was organized alphabetically by the scientific or Latin name so that whenever I had holes, I knew to fill in, you know, uh, more thalictrum or more heuchera. But knowing what my grower specialized in, like there was a particular grower called TNL who is still in business over there on the east side and Come fall, winter, spring, their heather was just absolutely amazing. And since it had beautiful color on it, you always knew that the four inch heather or the gallon heather would sell. So I'd order lots of that in. Anything that was great for containers if people were gonna be kind of stuck inside. Um, and then you get into the specialty growers who are doing the natives or the really cool rare woodlands or the grasses. And I don't know, I probably bought from 25, 30 different um, vendors. And sometimes, wow. you know, I'd get that availability on Friday 
and it was just like reading plant porn, all yes. those scientific names, yes. right? Just the most exciting thing. Oh, keep talking like, to me, yes. Yes, one Shall flat you of two this. Alone? I know. <laughs> yep, three flats of that. But it really worked out because I know what then I could put into displays at the front of the store and down the main walkway of the store that would sell. And it was those impulse items that if it looked really good in a display and using all of those design tricks, right? Same color, different texture, same texture, different color. Um, I just knew what would go. And there were some trucks too that you could just get on and just go to the racks. They'd just be lined and go to the racks and just lift up a flat, lift up a flat, lift up a flat. And then at the end, you just pull it all off and put it on the ground and then have to go stock it. Wow. So that's, I guess that's really interesting. I never thought of it. I guess because I'm not coming to it from a retail point of view or I'm coming to it from already having had a plan done and created and that's why I know what I want. I guess sounds silly to say, but I never really thought about the eye candy aspect of it for people coming into the retail centers where it's really about creating those displays. It's not that the plant sells itself. It's like the display of the plant is what sells. Oh, in the five senses. So then I would be able to do these, you know, um, five by seven, um, like plastic cards where I'd have the botanical name at the top and then the common name. And then you know, a little blurb about, oh, amazing, feel this, this feels so good, or look at this sexy, you know, chartreuse or purple color that would pair well with this plant. And, you know, people would read it and they'd start to get my little jokes and my sense of humor and be like, oh yeah, I gotta have, I gotta have five of those or seven of these. <laughs> of course. Um, that, it's, yeah, it's funny that you say that. Um, one thing I wanted to, to kind of throw out there too, well, now I remember what I was trying to say, when you were talking about the the plant porn and kind of like looking through the catalogs, I don't think people who aren't plant people don't really realize how your heart starts to beat faster and how, I mean, I literally start breathing heavier when I get plant catalogs in. I this totally really is, get it. This it's really a is total porn. rush. Yes, it is. It's a total rush. So I was having trouble getting it out. I'm like, how do I word this? No, but I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at some catalogs on my desk right now and especially the ones that have pictures because not all of them have pictures. So the ones that have pictures, when you start flipping through those images, I mean, it's, it's just like my head explodes. So it's really exciting to finally get a plant person on this podcast. Neil. Yes. <laughs> Cause I have a feeling we're going to keep going back to the plants. <laughs> well, and that was one reason why I got into design um, because customers would come into the nursery and they'd have a plant list and it would be just, you know, like, just a straight Berberus thunbergii. And I'd be like, oh, but wait, come here, look at this. We have all these different varieties and you should try this variety because it's it's gonna perform a lot better. It holds up, you know, better, it looks awesome. And so I ended up just um, substituting, but keeping with the same theme, being a designer, I totally understand that, that you don't want something. But if I knew that a certain shade maple wasn't gonna do well in our climate um, there up against the foothills, I would substitute something else out and say, oh no, you're going to be much happier with the fall color on this or the winter color or the maintenance on it. Uh, and that's, that's what led me to say, you know what, I want to be a landscape designer and I want to help people, homeowners, enjoy their spaces and work with them so that they're the ones who are going to get all the benefit out of it and they're going to fall in love with it. Well, just out of curiosity, I was wondering this earlier when you were talking about the move from Seattle to Boise, in terms of the difference in plants and climates, was there much of a transition that you had to make in terms of 
what worked in Seattle given those wet gray, I would assume maybe cooler conditions versus uh, working in Boise? Was there much of a transition that you had to make in your knowledge? Oh, it was a huge transition. Yeah, really? and that's, yeah, and that's what got me in trouble um, because I wasn't going to start up my design business for a couple more years till the kids were in school. Like this was going to be my fall. Both kids were going to be in school full time and mm. I could really go at it. But what happened was, is I started taking all of the local nursery classes. I started taking all the classes at the botanical garden that I could. Um, I just finished up the Treasure Valley Gardening Certificate Program. And so learning the microclimate, um, we have these cold northwest desiccating winds in the winter. So broadleaf evergreens are just like non-existent here. Hmm. You can't, you can't do that. So going to classes and asking questions really got me back into it. And, you know, just like, just like availabilities, once I started picking up all these new genus and species, I just couldn't stop. I just had to know all about them and I had to read about them and learn about them and see them in use. Um, and there's a great organization called Plant Select that um, puts out plants for the Intermountain West, for that steppe region that do well. And anything that they put out, I was on their website, I bought their book, Pretty Tough Plants, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stop learning about it. And now I've got my favorites that do really well here and hold up well. What zone are you? So this was funny. When we moved here, my addiction is Japanese maple. So at one point in my life, I had 34 different kinds. Wow. <laughs> that and peonies, right? That and peonies. Yeah. <laughs> I love peonies. Yeah. Peonies, perennials, Japanese maples. But I think we brought probably about 20 of them with us to Boise oh, in wow. containers. Um, that first winter of 2016, and this is going back to zones eventually, we got down to negative 12 degrees no. and everybody referred to it as snowmageddon. Oh, I put them up against the house. I insulated them when it snowed. I got snow on top of them, but I lost all but two. Oh, oh wow. And I was just, yeah, I was, I was distraught. Um, so USDA says we're a zone seven and that's a lie. Cause right. That's zero to 10 degrees. We're probably a six or a five here. Easily. Sounds, yeah. Sounds five-ish because I know yeah. I, we are, what are we, 6B now, I think. Um, but I never ever designed for six. I designed for five. And if, if I have something in that six, then I know I'm taking a chance. I feel like I'm taking a chance. So I'll put things maybe in a little bit more of a protected spot. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I mean, I could be kind of hearkening back to my childhood when we were clearly zone five and I know it, it has warmed up here. I can't, I can't deny that, but I, I definitely designed for fives just to yeah. be on the safe Well, side. even that, I mean, something may do well for 10 years and then it might be that one season yeah, that one where winter, yeah. Yeah, it gets toasted. It takes it out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why I always tell Neil, I have so much harder of a job than him <laughs> because he builds, I mean, you know, granted the stones are heavy, but he builds with stone and it's there. It doesn't move. It's, it's there and it stays, <laughs> you know, it's not going to die on you and make your customer die. really sad yep, and yep, depressed. It's not going to die. We're not going to have an issue with voles like we as, have right as, now. As long as my project. stuff's on a, a good footing, I'm usually pretty good. <laughs> you know, must be nice. That easy life you have. Easy. It is easy. Let me tell <laughs> You're you. You're a matchmaker, Samantha. <laughs> That's what you are. Um, and so I also saw on your website, and I just thought that was, this was interesting that you were working as a gardener for a while. I'm not sure if you're still doing that, but I wanted you to talk about that experience a little bit because before I went back to school for landscape architecture, or I, I guess during my first year, 
I worked as an estate gardener. And I always tell people, I learned more in that summer of gardening than I really ever learned in school. Not to say school didn't teach me things because it did, but that hands-on understanding of what plants do. And I mean, this is particular to understanding plants. That gardening experience completely formed who I am and how I look at plants. So I just wanted to kind of hear about your your work as a gardener. Yes. So um, I've had about three clients who were special enough for me to work with them in the gardening sense because monetarily I can make more money doing the design and the consultation um, than the, the physical work. But I think that it's so important for any designer, anyone who's putting in landscapes to know what the maintenance aspect of the plants is going to be. Yes. I think it's super important. So, you know, having my side business, um, which was called Lunaria Landscape Design, by the way. So Lunaria is the bot botanical name for money plant, right? Oh, I thought nice. I was really funny when I was nice. 18. Um, I had I had a great set of clients on Tiger Mountain in Issaquah, Washington that had a woodland garden. And knowing how to deal with the leaves off of the big leaf maples on top of all of those perennials and working in the mud and the muck and the rain was, was really informative. And then I had a, another client who my husband worked with me um, on this job over the years. And he had built um, a pretty large garden, had it installed on two acres, and it was double file viburnum planted like three feet center to center. Oh, and Stewardia pseudo camellia planted eight to 10 feet center to center, lining a driveway with, um, with uh, strawberry bushes, Arbutus unido in between them, you know, four feet center to center. And I remember getting a phone call from him and he said, you know, so-and-so gave me your name and I know you don't do gardening, but I've had this landscape installed about five, seven years ago and the maintenance is just getting to be way too much on it. It's not something that I can do. And I just couldn't bear the thought of someone going in after seeing the place and hedge trimming everything right, because right. there were such beautiful plants. They were gorgeous. So I, we worked on that property for probably three or four years before he sold it and downsized. And that was super informative for me for knowing how to space plants uh, appropriately on a plan and what type of maintenance they would need. And then we had the opportunity to move down to Olympia, Washington, which um, we were up here and you come down and around to the sound. And um, I had, I was, I was pregnant with my, my second child and I just needed something to um, get out of the house because the nursery had closed down. We had had the recession and, and uh, it was a, a, a family that owned it. And one of the owners had passed away and the wife couldn't keep it going. So we'd moved down to Olympia and I just on a whim was like, man, I just need to be outside working with my hands, doing something because I miss that physical aspect of the job so much. So I threw up an ad on Craigslist for uh, rhododendron pruning and Japanese maple pruning, which is kind of a specialty in that area, mm. you know, and someone caught my my ad, looked it up and called me and, and happened to be that he lived on um, two acres of uh, fully designed Japanese garden. And in that area, Taylor Shellfish, the oyster farm is really, really big. And it was one of the sisters of Taylor Shellfish that had that house and had this garden design and um, 25,000 gallon koi pond and Zen wow. rock garden. Oh, and wow. it, the rock work and the woodwork and, and just the craftsmanship of this whole stream through the middle of it was just amazing. 
and to be able to go on my time, prune, leave a pile and have the homeowner or who, whoever else he hired come and pick up behind me yes. was just like, yes. you know, the most freeing thing. And just being up, I didn't, I didn't wear headphones, nothing like that. It was me and my folding pruning saw, my loppers and my Felco number sixes. And just to go and let, let it, let it fall or rake it into a pile and then move on to the next thing. Every time I drive down that long driveway, it was just, just the happiest thing for me. So yeah, I, I love the state gardening and gardening for people. And I still prune fruit trees and, and maples for special clients. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. I think I tell Neil, you know, a few times every season, because when we started, so we do offer gardening services. So we design, build, and then we do gardening services for specific clients, kind of like you're saying. So mm-hmm. especially there's projects that are particularly important to me and how I know it's going to take them a few years to develop into the grand scheme of what my vision was. So, you know, to be able to still stay on a property after the installation has been done has been just uh, amazing for me and has made me so much better at what I do because 100% I can see where my mistakes were and I can see where my successes were and I can just constantly be bringing that to the next project. But the idea of being able to take care of the plants, and I don't know if it's just because at heart I'm kind of a caretaker and I like taking care of things, but you're right, that physical aspect, I miss it so much, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to cry, um, but of being able to kind of constantly be in the garden and be tending it, not controlling it, because I definitely don't control my gardens, but to tend it and manage it and still feel like you are a part of the process. It's definitely something that I, I really miss. And, you know, I, I try to get out there whenever I can, but you know, there's only so many hours in the day. These days. That's right. There's so much going on. Yeah. It's a whole other level of education when you can mm-hmm. be in what you have designed or planted. It's, it's just wonderful. It is. It is. She needs to be friends with Paul Camara oh. because he, he was, I think guest two we had. Right, right. He loves Japanese maples. He has a collection of them. And it sounds like you're right on par with him with pruning. He just absolutely loves it. And the specialty pruning, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, plus he's really nice. He's really nice. <laughs> he's really nice. Um, I'm interested in you, you making the move. So you got your start working at the garden center, which is very similar to my start. And I'm going into this and mine actually. Yeah. 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 Both of you. Yeah. I'm interested in that because I've had a few people recently even reach out. Um, One was somebody who was in his mid thirties and wanted to start. And he was asking me if I thought he was too old, which I said, absolutely not. If this is what you want to do and you're passionate about. Um, But other people have asked me how I got my start. And I did say, you know, I went to school for this landscape architecture Um, I worked in a firm, but I did not know my plant material. That's why I actually went on the weekends on a Saturday and Sunday to work in a nursery that was more based on retail where I had that client interaction like you were talking about, where Mm -hmm. people would come in with a picture and boy, talk about getting yourself in shape with plants. Someone brings in something (laughs) with some dimensions and you have to walk them around and you have that interaction and that sales experience and um, it was priceless for me. Um, 
so I just, I get into that just because if people are listening and they, they, they want to know really how to acquire the knowledge, there's nothing like that hands-on experience, but through that, go ahead. Yeah. That's the first thing I tell people. I get a lot of people who, um, want kind of a mentoring relationship with me and they want to know, so what, what should I do? And I, and that's the first thing I tell them is even if it's seasonal, even it's through the, if it's through the busy part of the season, just go get a job at a nursery or a garden center and you are going to learn more in that those few months than you would even ever hope to know in your lifetime because you have to solve problems um, right then and there on your feet. And you learn all the plants, you learn all the problems with the plants because people bring in the leaves and the bag, you know, and what's wrong with this, what's this pest. And uh, you learn how to, how to also help people gain some confidence in themselves and what they're doing with the plants. So yeah, that's always my biggest number one is go work at a garden center because you will learn so much. Yeah, for sure. And even like through there, I was lucky where um, they did their own installs, but it was on the border of Rhode Island and Massachusetts where they didn't go into Rhode Island. So they ended up giving me those clients. So now I was able to design for those people and eventually start building for those people. So that's how we really got our start. Um, But I'm interested in your experience because it seems like you had that and you were developing that and then you made the big move so how did you get yourself known where you are here in Boise? How does that process begin? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good question. So when I was in the Seattle area in Issaquah, we were on the east side, right? We had Microsoft and Amazon and you know Intel not far away. And I told the owner, I said, we need to be online. We need to have a social media presence because people aren't necessarily going to go out looking for things, they expect it to show up in their hand now. Mm -hmm. So I started, you know, a Twitter account for the nursery and I started um, Facebook because this was before Instagram. So I saw how that did. I'd I'd post a plant a day that we had in that I wanted to highlight that looked fabulous off the truck and posted in a display and that got people coming in. So when, when I was there, the nursery would hand out my card Um, here in Boise, making the transition, I went to these classes at nurseries and um, at one nursery in particular, uh, it's a, it's a uh, landscape architect designer who is the owner and her husband has a company on the side installing. And based on the questions that I was asking about the native plants and stuff, she's like, let's chat just a little bit more, you know, what's going on with you. So if she has extra work, she sends it my way. Nice. Um, I took the Treasure Valley, um, you know, certificate program and even classes before that, they had said, well, based on the questions you're asking, what's your background, would you teach for us? Oh, nice. So yeah, making myself kind of, I don't want to say an expert in the area, but I mean, someone that people can go to and feel comfortable um, going to has been how I have established my presence here. And really Instagram was the biggest thing. When I found out that there were other people all over the world who still (laughs) did hand drafting and drawing, I was just floored. And I thought, well, cool. I can really talk about horticulture and plants because that's my passion and that's what I like. But to see other designers designing and drawing and I would look at their pictures and say, oh, well, that's a great placement of a tree. Or, oh, I really like how that path curves around that direction. And think about how I would 
maybe lay out something differently or how I would look at it differently versus how they would look at it. It was just super exciting for me. So I started on Instagram and, and I think I'm a really good step in between um, a large firm. If people just need to know, like when they come into a nursery, what tree to plant in this spot to give them shade and then what plants can accompany, accompany it. Um, it's just a really nice in-between step where they can still DIY it if they want to. And then the bigger plans, if they need to hand them off to a landscape contractor, then they can. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that aspect of your business a little bit more, but as kind of a precursor to that, I would love to learn more about the name Green Thumb Sam, because I understand Sam came from your grandmother, I mean, your grandfather. So I'm trying to figure out how you got Sam out of Sarah. So I'm sure that there is, um, I'm sure that there is a nice story there. Oh, there's a story and it's, it's kind of <laughs> cheesy, but I love it. Um, Go. <laughs> yes. My grandpa on my mom's side has always called me Sam. Uh, I'm the only granddaughter and there's just, I have two boy cousins. So there's only three of it, Jason, Brad, and Sam. And to this day, he will not call me anything other than Sam. Hmm. Uh, when, and that, that was my initials, Sarah Ann Myers was my, uh, maiden name. And then I married a Meyer and which the judge who married us when we went to her chambers in downtown Seattle, she's like, I cannot marry you guys. This is illegal. And we're like, <laughs> you know, we're like 23 and big eyes. I'm like, why? And she says, because you're related somewhere down the line, obviously. <laughs> and my husband said, don't change your name to Meyer because no one will ever be able to spell it or pronounce it. And he was right. Um, but when we moved here, I had looked up the name Lunaria and there is a garden grant fund. So someone else oh. who thought that that was really punny, right? <laughs> so I had to change my name and um, I figured, and this is, this is all credit to my husband. He's like, if, and when you decide to retire, if you want to sell your business, green thumb, Sam can cover maintenance, design, installation. Mm, it can it, it's a, it's a, it's a big name. It could cover anything. And I mm. thought, you know what? That's good. So that's how we ended up with Green Thumb Sam. That's a, it's a great tag, uh, you know, on Instagram as well. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it just, just, yeah, like you said, it, it, it can encompass all elements of, of what you do. But you said, that's I think. him. He's, he's smart. He's always <laughs> been my biggest supporter. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I think you mentioned on your website, though, that your grandfather was an avid gardener as well. Oh, yeah. Yes, both, both sides. Um, but my, that's my grandpa Clark. He is. He, he had a couple of acres and we, he always had this forested um, part of his property where he built a fort for his grandkids that was really cool. He had worked at Weyerhaeuser and um, was a mechanical engineer, but he had what was called the pipeline or the gas line that ran through his property and you couldn't build anything solid on it. So he always had a huge veggie garden and then he'd have his dahlias and everything as well. Um, so it was always fun to just go spend time with him. And then my other set of grandparents, they had more formal gardens. They had cutting gardens and veggie gardens and a koi pond and a rockery. And so growing up, I, it was just, I was an only child for nine years. So going to my grandparents' house for me was like going to Disneyland, just being able to play outside all day and kind of forage and eat whatever you could find in the garden and play with flowers and put together bouquets. So oh, that, that was great. Sounds amazing. I think, and the reason I'm kind of going into it is because I always sort of wonder if this gardening bug kind of runs in the, in the blood, in people's blood, you know, so for example, my dad, who I did not grow up with, he lived actually across the country, but he was an avid gardener and he was um, really known for his lemon trees and his tomatoes. 
And so my, the people, my, the family that I did grow up with, they really weren't gardeners at all. And so I kind of have always wondered, well, where did this come from? And I just, I feel like there's got to be something in our DNA that comes to us from <laughs> our family. I think so. My, um, my uncle um, has a place in the south end of Boston, but he, he resides now in um, Provincetown at the tip of the Cape. Mm-hmm. And he is, <laughs> oh gosh, it's probably been 15 years now that he's been there, but he started out with pretty much a, br- a blank lot. And every time I see pictures that he posts on Facebook, he has just been hoarding either he's ordered tons and tons of bulbs and he's putting them in or, you know, it's, it's 50 different kinds of iris that he's putting in. And yeah, it, it runs in the family for sure. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Makes me feel like maybe it's not so much of an addiction as something that you just can't. No, (laughs) it's a total addiction. It's a total, don't, don't kid yourself. It's a total addiction. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I always say to Neil, you know, I would rather have plants than anything else in the world. I, You know, I don't care about clothes. I don't care about jewelry. I do like shoes. I'll admit I do like shoes, but I won't spend my money on them. I can contest to that. She has some of the same shirts and sweatshirts, and we've been together for 15 years that she had 15 years ago. I would rather spend money on plants, too. I totally get you, Samantha. (laughs) Crazy kids. I know. I know. I really want to get into, well, there's a lot. I'm really interested in your work process and who, who you're producing these plans for. So you have the plans that are going to the DIY person, which I have to say, the people that you know, these DIY people are like on another level from what I've seen, some of the stuff they produced. I'm really impressed by it. Um, and, and that of, of handing off a set of plans to a landscape contractor. Um, Are you involved through that process on either or both ends once you hand those plans off? Should things come up? Yes. So not as much as I would like to be with the contractors. I would really, that's something I would really like to do in the next year is establish, uh, I wouldn't say better, but relationships with the contractors in Mm -hmm. my area. I've got about a handful that I recommend that I really like but everyone is so busy. So because the growth here is just exponential. So when I have my clients, um, you know, because I do the digital scans of the the plans, and I'll have them email them to the contractors to bid. But then the contractor will say, well, we're, we're a year out, or we're a year and a half out, and they just get so, you know, kind of discouraged. Okay. So at one point in time, when I was going to school, and had finished and my husband was going to school he was installing plans for me and that was wonderful and then at one point he had a cave experience like samantha did we got stuck in the ape caves uh right around uh mount st helens area and he said i'm not walking around yards anymore i'm not doing yards anymore i'm I'm gonna do the big picture fishery and forestry okay um so yeah i would like more relationships but i do check back in and i have started project management offering Uh, that to clients. Um, So there was one couple this year that I worked with that they had hired a contractor on their own and they would have me over and I would go check the work and say, move this or do that. Or what about if we do it this way? And then with the clients themselves, um, 
I'm terrible about this, but I'm definitely available for texts or emails at any time or a phone Ooh. call. You know, like the nursery has ordered. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about yeah. that. It's hard. It's hard not to be. I get it. Yeah, they they will say, you know, like the nursery ordered in um this other grass, even though we had specified, and I'll be like, oh no, 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 you don't want that one because it will die out over the next two or three years. You know, make sure that you can return it because that you cannot you cannot have that grass. You're gonna have a poor experience and and I don't want them to fail. So I try to give them as much information as they possibly can have or need so that they will have success in what they're doing. Yeah. So I would imagine the on the planting end as, as in terms of project management, placing the plants, I think would be a huge asset for these people, even the contractors. And then, cause I, God, it, I, it would be really difficult. And I, I actually don't like placing the plants when she's not there. Sometimes I have to, I'm so paranoid. I'm not gonna get the spacing right. Um, there is fluctuation. I don't know what you find that, you know, it's not a planting plan is we, we're pretty much on point, but we have to move it's things fluid. and shift things oh, left and fluid. right. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. And God, I, it'd be really difficult, I think, to hand that off to somebody else and not get that spacing right, which is so important. Right. It is, uh, it's definitely taking like your baby or my baby, because I've spent <laughs> so much time on these and I've thought through every, yeah. everything you can possibly think through working through the problems and then handing it off and saying, okay, I hope for the best. Here you go. Yeah. So I always tell them, if you have questions, just let me know, because I'd rather, I'd rather know you're having a good time and you're enjoying it. So you enjoy it in the future and you enjoy the space in the future than, mm. than failing. And I always give people the, the blur. Do you guys ever do the blur, Samantha, I don't know where you is. stand back once you have placed something? And this was really big in setting up displays too, where you stand back and you, you fuzz your eyes, you blur them, <laughs> you squint them. And so you can see all the shapes and the forms and the light and the dark values ah. come together. And that makes it um, easier to kind of discern the composition and know if you got to shift something a little this way or a little okay. that way. Oh, the blur. See, I, I, thought like it was, it. I thought this was just a sales tactic to make you look like superior. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I, like I like that. that. <laughs> but I, let's, so let's backtrack a little bit in terms of your process because you will offer your clients either consultations, which is sort of one aspect and one price point, and then mm-hmm. you will do kind of master planning for them. So what does it mean to do a consultation? So I always have everybody start out with a consultation no matter what, because even if it turns into a plan, um, you guys know just as well as I do, you're kind of hiring them or seeing if you want to work with them Mm -hmm. on a big project Mm. Um, because there's some people who could care who could care less they just want some curb appeal and so you know those are the clients that are going to get really tough plants that are bulletproof and that might just be an hour to three hour consultation where you give them all the information they need the plants the layout where they're going to buy them from Uh, what type of rock they're going to use what rock yard they're going to go to for that rock so so people who want to knock something out, but they don't need it measured and to scale. And then there's other people like my father, who is an engineer, who our windowsills in our house weren't finished for years because everything had to be just perfect, right? Just level. Yeah. 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 So measured and to scale, I think is great for people who are like, well, if I put down a rock border and you don't specify that it's exactly to be six inches or a foot wide, I, what if I'm out there and I make it three feet, you know, like they'll just obsess over every little detail. So 
Or if I have an idea that I'm like, oh, this would be a really fun space to work with, like this last one that I just presented. There were so many different ways you could lay out the front entry or the back entry, but it was one of those things that needed the dedication of time to sit down and work through it mm -hmm. and to come up with those different ideas to kind of really make sure that they flowed well and they looked right. And so I knew that that was one that I wanted to do a plan for because coming up with the best solution for them and, and how it should flow for um, design and form and function that needed to be something that was devoted more than a two hour consultation to. So let me wrap my head around this because it's, it's, it's just a little, it's different from how we work. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm curious about, about the consultation. Cause I was doing, when we first started, I would do consultations for people, but then I just realized for me, that was taking away from time that I needed to put towards the larger project. So your consultation, that's a paid service, I would assume, mm -hmm. right? And so you will then move from consultation to more of a, like I said, a master plan based on the complexity of the design, it sounds like. And then certainly if it's going to go to a contractor, I'm sure you move on to that master plan, kind of drafted plan. But then some of your DIY clients also just need more specifics from you to get the plan right. Is that what you're... It, it sounds, yeah. it sounds okay. a You're lot like Sarah Bendrick when we talked with her. I felt like her process was very similar mm. to yours, Sarah. It, hers did sound Sarah similar after listening. Yeah, after listening to hers. Um, yeah, it, it really just depends on what they need. And, and I also offer an intermediate step where if they're like, oh, yeah, that hour to two consultation, which I just charge hourly and have them pay on the spot. Mm -hmm. If they're like, okay, well, that all sounds great. But man, I would love it if you could link me to those Felco pruners. So they're not spending the time Googling everything. Mm -hmm. I would love it if you could link me to those Felco pruners or if you could put together in your notes these specific plants that you're recommending. So I'll do a mid to which I, I call refined notes. Mm -hmm. where everything is just laid out very plain uh, that they could spend a little bit more time on, but don't have to go with the full, the full big plan. What, what happens when you meet somebody and you know right away you don't want to work with them? But <laughs> yeah, they, have question. you ever had this and they, <laughs> they want to work with you? That's a good question. Because we have, well, we have a, we have a breakup letter. Well, yeah, now it's a breakup we email. <laughs> But I used to. Oh, I want one of those. <laughs> now it's an email. Yes, where I just, you know, personally, I'll just say thank you so much. Your yard is beautiful. Um, but I just don't think that we're a right fit or something to that effect. So do you. Do I avoid the like face to face <laughs> sort of phone call. <laughs> I just go right how to do you, email. How now. do you do right it, Sarah? <laughs> so that's a really good question. And. Um, I will just steer them into, no, I don't, I don't think you need a plan. Um, there is one particular instance in this area where I have done a plan for somebody and I have specced specific materials for walkways and the size of pavers to walk up to the front door. And then it had been done differently. Mm. And I have the client saying, come stop by, come stop by, walk these pavers with me up to the front door. Doesn't this feel weird? You have to kind of double step here. And I'm like, yes, because these were not poured at the measurements that I had. This is why you got a plan. So it was very, very specific. Mm. Um, and then like the walkway, I wanted crushed rock, you know, low budget. I wanted crushed rock to get around to the back of the house. And it was more of this like pumicey stone that was very light, almost like a vermiculite or a pearl light. And oh, so wow. when you would walk in it, you would just sink. And 
he's like, I don't like this. And I'm like, yes, this is this, uh, this is what I told you to get rid of. This is, <laughs> this is terrible. And so in instances like that, it's like, if they want more help, I say, well, you can hire me again if you need, right. but you have right. to pay for that. Right. Mm. You have went, you have went against my wishes and best practices and I can't, I, I need to be paid for that time. Um, and so I say, if, if they're not willing to do that, I said, okay, well, I think you need to find somebody else who maybe um, is, is better at communicating with you, or maybe that you feel more comfortable with working with to, to get the desired um, outcome that you want. But then I also say like, don't put my name on this because this is not what <laughs> I, right. This is not, no. this is not my product right here. Right. Well, along those same lines, we wanted to ask you because we've been having a little bit of a disagreement lately. Well, just so you know, these podcasts usually turn into a therapy <laughs> session at some point between Neil and I. Yes. So we've been having a bit of a disagreement lately. Which, on which one? <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> Dealing with oh, when yeah. clients want to change things in your design that you know are really important. So at what point do you fight for them? And I'm talking about clients you have a good relationship with that you're in the design process with, but you know, they're either concerned about budget or, or use or how something's going to look. Maintenance. Maintenance. That's a big one. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you, how do you deal with clients when they want to change something that you know is really important? Well, that's a really hard one because number one, I, I, it's just built into me that I want to be a people pleaser. And if I like the client, I feel like I have, you know, uh, more of a personal relationship with them. But if I really feel a certain way about a plant or a placement or the flow of a path, I will just straight up say, I wouldn't recommend it because I don't think that you're going to be happy with the outcome. And I think that the outcome that you're looking for, this is the way to do it. And this will be the best way to do it. Hmm. And if they disagree, I say, if you don't like it, you know, you can't bring it back to me that you don't, you don't like it that way because you went out on your own and you decided what to do. Yeah. I like it. Firm, but friendly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there, it, it's, it's been kind of interesting lately though, because there's been a few things that Samantha was willing, not, not that she thought it was the right decision our clients were making, but she was willing to go that route. And I, was a little, which I, I don't have to deal with the client. So it's easy for me to say, Samantha, no, they absolutely can't do this. Come on, what are we doing? Um, but I kind of made my case and I think ultimately they stuck with what I wanted. So I think, I think with experience, we're getting a little more bold when it comes to that. Do you, do you not think so? She's writing stuff down and she looked out the window, Sarah, and I'm thinking that there's a fire or something because our kids are out there actually playing around the fire pit. Yeah, the, so no, they're playing with fire. Thought, yes, That's why you thought I there thought was. something was oh. really, really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't see what could go wrong with children playing with a fire pit that we can't see. There seems to be nothing you know, wrong nothing, with that. nothing. Seven and nine. Very <laughs> yeah, responsible. Yeah, see, mine are nine and six, so I get Oh, you. that's right. They're very similar in age. So how are you juggling that? right now this this has been insane because like i said i have been looking forward to this fall yeah. in particular yeah um fall winter of 2020 because they would both be in school full-time and i would be able to do my thing um oh that's right and, six yeah that makes perfect sense yeah yeah but but boise um or the school district that we are in currently um 
they can't decide what they're doing. And so these last two weeks, they have had all of the kids in school full time. So mm. these last two weeks, I've been getting tons of stuff done, but cases are just rising. And I mean, in the beginning, it was just one of those things where I just had to throw my hands up and go, this, this just is how it is. Yeah. Because for me, I'm kind of a black and white person. It's like, I'm all work or I'm all mom. And, and when we decided to have children, when we were moving into that phase um, and I was going to have my daughter, I was like so naive and like, oh, I'll totally be able to consult and draw and do all these things. It'll be no problem. And I never, I didn't understand how much work a baby or kids were. And so it was kind of a black or white um, proposition, which is why when we moved down to Olympia, that was so great that I could get that estate gardening job or, or that gentleman found me because it was such a great release. So yeah, this has just been, it's, I mean, you just have to throw your hands up and go, it is what it is. And I'm so, um, I just want to give you so much props for doing the homeschool thing oh. because holy smokes, I, I can teach adults about design and plants all day, but man, they look at me and go, oh, I don't want to read this. I don't want to do this paragraph. And yeah, it's like, it's especially, especially when people listen to you, right? When you're a professional and people listen to you because your opinion matters and your experience matters, these kids could care less. They don't, they don't care. They don't care. Well, my secret weapon, <laughs> I'm sorry, Neil, my secret weapon um, is why not? No. you want me to call your father right now. <laughs> and I hate having oh, to play okay. that role. But. I, my husband, my husband hates that too. I'm always like, um, should we call dad? Should we call dad and talk to him about this? It's and all it's I've like, got. No. Sarah, Sarah, it's all I've got. Like, it's all I've got. I can't take, really take things away from them because they don't have video games. They don't have anything like that. Their thing is playing outside and building stuff. So I can't and take, can't that, take away that away. From them. So all I've got is threatening some sort of retribution from their father. <laughs> right. Mine have video games now, so that's the only thing I can take away. I think that probably always works. Yes. It's a role that I never asked for. But <laughs> and I don't even know why it works because I'm not a huge intimidating person, but I'll talk sternly. <laughs> oh no, you've got the voice. I guess you've, you've got the, the voice whip out the dad voice. Yeah, yeah. The dad voice. But I just don't, I just don't have the octave in my voice well, to get there. Well, right. And I think sometimes they're around us so much that yes. it's like, yeah, whatever that lady says. Right. Sure. Right. 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 <laughs> right. Whatever. Right. Yeah. And once they know they're, they're, they're I, last year when it started in the, in the, in the spring, it, it, very quickly, once they were home, they kind of caught on to us where we weren't prepared and they, they kind of sensed that and they knew. So like a few weeks into it, we were just like, whatever, you're done with school. It's over. So. Literally. I just, <laughs> I stopped. I, I just, yep. I was, I can't, uh, I'm sorry. Like we'll pick it up in the fall thinking we'll pick it up in the fall and they'll get caught up and everybody's going to be in the same spot. So yeah. this won't be a problem. I never anticipated actually homeschooling them this year, but, but I think, I think we just kind of slowed down. And unfortunately I think the world in a way, at least here, everything's kind of just slowed down a little bit. So we're just Well, at least now cruising. we all have an excuse for, okay, because let's admit it, as designers, you know, these projects take a long time. It takes mm -hmm. a long time. And when you're managing multiple clients, it's a process and it just takes time. But at least now we can all say, sorry, COVID, slowing me down. You know? Right. What can I do? The kids are home. What can I do? Plans changed. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's one of the biggest things for me is like when I'm lettering a plan, I do that all in one chunk so that the handwriting is all cohesive. It's not something I can do in 10 minute sections because it's like once I get that flow going, I just have to I have to finish that piece. I can't come back to it later. Or the uh, you know, the height of the lettering will be a little bit off. So That's interesting. What when when I watch your videos, I kind of get lost in them. It's very um it has like a kind of a meditative kind of feel. It just, I don't know, it's just very graceful the way you do it, and I'm in awe of that. Do you, do you get into a space when you're coloring or lettering where it's, it, it's somewhat liberating, or how, how, how does that feel for you when you're in that moment? Oh, I, yeah, I put on music. I have my water ready. I have my um, sparkling water ready, and I just get into a groove, and I just go and it is it's 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 one of my favorite things which is why sometimes i feel um i don't want to say bad but sometimes i feel weird about charging people for what i do because it is so absolutely enjoyable for me i just it, it it's it's like a form of therapy or yoga you know just the practice mm. of it just the kind of meditative quality of it well i wanted to ask you and i think i kind of have a sense of your answer but why stick with the hand rendering and the hand graphics and the handwriting, which I am so insanely jealous of the quality of your writing. It's like, <laughs> it's embarrassing how jealous I am of you because my, <laughs> hand, my handwriting, even when I try to do that nice landscape architecture oh capitals, God. it's pitiful. And our handwriting is getting worse, you and I. I know. <laughs> so why? Oh, Neil, I loved yours on that that post that you did. I love that. Well, that I was trying. so artistic. Yeah, yeah, no, it just comes to you. My, quite, my, quiet. No, 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 no. But my, my everyday handwriting, it's getting to the point, I don't know if this is with age, where I can't read some of the things I'm writing, which is... Whatever. Really not cool. I don't want to hear from you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so why stick with the hand rendering graphics? What for you is special about that? Or, or why not move to CAD where you can make changes so much easier and that sort of thing? I'd love to hear you talk about that. All right. So um, when I went to school for environmental horticulture with an emphasis in landscape design um, at South Seattle College, for whatever reason, it wasn't in their budget to get the CAD program. We, we had training in it, but it was like, it was an off-brand program, which was fine. Um, and for what I was doing, I think I was 20 or so, I had come home and my husband had bought a six foot long uh, drafting table from Boeing Surplus Supply. And he had painted the base for me and it had the wooden top and we had our little apartment, which is just a two bedroom apartment on the Green River and being able to just do something. I just feel like the, my mind and hand are just so connected that just being able to go in and get down a couple of ideas and, and being able to hand them off to a client right away. Like when I was working at the nursery um, was the way for me to do it. Also, there was no desire for me to be in front of a computer dragging and dropping symbols. Um, yes, I would like it for the estimating and the bidding. Um, it would save a lot of time, I'm not gonna lie, but it is gonna take me a lot of time on the front end to learn that program too. Like I, you know, I started talking to Pierce when she started using um, Dynascape and it looks very appealing to me, but it's like, if I could have a combination of Morfolio Trace and the Dynascape program where I could 
put in my own graphics and then be able to manipulate them or spin uh, them so they didn't all look the same. Mm-hmm. I just, I think you lose a lot of the personality when it's so uniform. And for me, it's a lot of feeling that I put into these plans because I'm, I'm picking specific plants because I think that they tie into either that genius loci, the feeling of the space or the particular client, or I know that plant and I want them to love that plant like I do. And it just seems kind of impersonal to me to drag and drop those symbols. And so for me, I have just always stayed with the hand because I've got three drafting tables. Um, so moving projects around it can be challenging at times, but I've got my flat file where I can slide stuff in and yeah, so there, there might come a point in time when I decide to do that, but I'm just, I still love what I do and I still have control over my hand. Like the carpal tunnel isn't so bad. Um, hmm. So I think it would take more time to learn it up front. And I don't want to take time away from what I can still do physically with my body. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll want to sit in front of a computer when I get a little bit older and, and do that, but not right now. Yeah, that's a great point sitting in, you know, in front of the computer. That just really resonated with me, what you said, because one of my notes here was with a question mark, does hand rendering make it more of a personal, personable experience? And I think... For for her clients. Yeah, for for your clients. And I just, I feel like your renderings say a lot more than a CAD drawing. And we do CAD work. But I also think, you know, with CAD, it can be very stifling. I think we had a post recently where, um, and somebody was writing back to me on it and it it was perfect because I've had that experience many times where if I have an idea and I go straight to CAD, forget it. I get sucked into what I I call the AutoCAD vortex and I just go down the rabbit hole of trying to make this thing work and it just gets worse and worse and worse where if I could just take a step back and you're much better at this than I am, Samantha. Well, that's because you come up with an idea before you've even seen the site or know anything about the client. (laughs) And then you'll jump into CAD and be like, what do you think of this? I'm like, whoa, 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 that's not where we're going. But but (laughs) that that experience of, you know, like you said, that mind-to-hand experience of just kind of just getting it all out on paper is very freeing and liberating versus the computer experience. I I would agree. And I think it's... um... It's something I can have control over. I can see it in my mind and I can see it how it should be laid out. Um, and this kind of goes back to my sign making days at the nursery too. Like I have a personality for a plant. I know what the botanical name is. I know what the common name is. I know what I want that to look like across the paper to give it feeling. And I know what I want that handwritten description to look like to give it feeling and emotion. And it's just like receiving a typed letter in the mail or a handwritten Uh letter in the mail there's just so much more warmth to it and yeah you're not stifled there is creativity that you can bring to that well i think you you just hit the word the word with the word emotion that is exactly what it is you you're able to bring emotion to a plan view drawing which is kind of insane when you think about it it's just a piece of paper It doesn't seem so flat, It's not a 3D. It's not even a 3D rendering. Mm. Um, But you are able to bring a massive amount of emotion through your graphics and your color choices. It's it's beautiful. It's amazing. Thank you. Well, I have to I have to point I have to just pull back on that just a little bit and point to something. Yesterday, I went and presented the plan that I had been posting a lot about the Cali residents, and at our preliminary plan meeting. 
um, the husband was like, well, what do you do with this flimsy? What do you do with this trace paper? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I just, I use that to make the final design. Um, and then I thought about it and it's like, what do I do with that? I put it in my flat file. I hold on to it for a couple of years and then I throw it away. So, because the final's produced, right? There's mm -hmm. our end result, good, we're good to go. Yesterday, what I did was I gave them all of the flimsies, all of the different little preliminary sketches that I had done. So, I mean, sheets and sheets of trace paper, flimsy paper. And I even gave them, I'll take a, a big, um, rip off a big piece and I'll lay it out and figure out how I want to lay out the piece of the yard and where I want the plant keys to go in and my design program and my, so that I have like a dry run, right? So that I know where to leave space in my plan and what to draw in. And I also gave them those and they were just so grateful and honored. And they said, we were thinking about doing a whole wall where we frame these pieces oh, so and then cool. we frame your plan. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that is just, you know, I wanted to hug them. I couldn't right now, but I wanted to <laughs> hug them because people will say, oh, that's cool. But to have someone who had kind of that emotional connection to it and wanted to keep it and honor it was just like, wow, this is really just, it was really validating and made me feel really good. And I thought, well, that's way better than me sticking it in the flat file and throwing it away two or three years from now. Yeah, that, those were fun ideas. Great. Okay, here we go. Right. So I was, gonna, away. was it almost a relief to be able to give it to them? Because you didn't have to feel guilty about the fact that you put all this time in and now it's just in a, in a drawer for nobody to really think about again. Was it almost kind of a relief to be able to give it to them? So now it's up it was, to them to do. With yeah, what they it was, will? it was, it was very freeing. And at the same time I said, I'm going to keep the base map because that's when I go and I take all my measurements and, and do the, the site analysis. I'm going to keep the base map, but you guys let me know if, when I go to the print shop next time, if you want a copy of this in a digital scan, cause I will email it to you. So you can see everything that is existing right now, if you need to work around it. And I kept my original vellum copy and I just always keep my vellum because in case I need to run more plans further on or anything, um, I do that. But I only took those two things away and I left everything else. And it was, it was kind of like, you know, not a hoarder type situation because I'm sure my kids at some point in time when I die are going to be like, oh my gosh, what do we do with, 20? you know, at this point it's like 20 years of drawings. What do we do with all of these? Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm sure too for them, the, the, the homeowner to get all those layers of, you know, all those layers of thoughts, those Thinking, physical yeah, layers. Yeah. I'm sure at that moment they were, you know, they realized, wow, you really put all this time and care into it. And um, you're not going to get that with the AutoCAD layers like we do. It just, I guess it just looks like we spit something out. Whereas your process, they <laughs> for can the really record, I know, for the record. see what went into right. it. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> For the record, I'm not just spitting things out. I, know, I just feel like I have to but, throw it out there. I've got but, my trace paper. I do. Right. But they may not, <laughs> our customers may not realize that because of the, what you're giving them. You know, you, we have these right. physical, we have these layers in CAD right. where she has these physical layers of trace on top of trace. It's pretty cool. Right. It is. It is. Right. And, and yeah, and that's one thing that I do when I sit down at my meetings, at my preliminary meeting and then at the final, I say, okay, so we started out with the base map. This has all the measurements and the site analysis on it. And then as you know, we moved to the flimsies and this was all of our ideas for preliminary plans and how we could lay it out. And then here we move on to the vellum. And so I start this with pencil and then I finish it in pen. So that's, this is the, this is the final copy. And then I take this to the print shop and I get it 
printed and I also have it scanned and I have, I, I have them reduced to eight and a half by 11 too. So that if they're at a nursery or they're at a rock yard, they can carry around a little piece of paper with the plan and the plant list on it instead of having the big plan. And then I say, and here are your black and white working copies, which I usually give two to three of those. And then I say, and here is your final rendered plan. Nice. And there's nothing like that feeling when they're like, Oh, and especially when, yeah. And especially when it's not a color copy of the rendered plan, because I'll usually do many layers, like the white pen that I put on there, the um, chalk pastels, and then the colored pencil and then the marker. So you can physically touch it and it's got texture and feeling Mm. to it. And so that's always exciting at the end when I have that big reveal and they're like, oh, so cool. That's a cool buildup. That's a good marketing there. Yeah. Yeah. That is sales technique. Yeah, I like that. I know. But you know what? And, and more than marketing, it's that I'm so excited about what I've done. And really, I don't have anyone that really appreciates that. Like, I'll tell my husband, I'm like, come in and look at this one. And he's like, he's great. He's very supportive. But he's like, <laughs> another one. I, I know. I know. I've seen these for years now. <laughs> You're like, no, you don't understand. This one has a graffiti wall. Right? Exactly. Right, 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 right. Yeah, he'll be like, whose house, whose house are you going to this time? And I'm like, the graffiti wall tortoise tortoise clients. And the kids are like, oh, that's cool. So tell like, us oh, about yeah, the okay, graffiti okay. wall. What, what so is... they, went, they went to um, uh, Austin, Austin, Texas. And I guess that they're at a park or somewhere. I haven't seen it. Um, but there is a wall where people can go tag it and put up murals and do graffiti. And so when COVID's over, they want this backyard. They want to have their friends over. They have moved from California. They want to have their friends over and family gatherings. And they want to be able to go out in the backyard when they're barbecuing or grilling or hanging out and just have their friends go put up artwork so that they can look at it. And they have that connection when their friends or their family leaves. And I just thought, this is, I mean, I've done a lot of weird things for people. Um, and I didn't think that this was weird so much. It's just really, really cool and in, in honoring their their friendships and relationships with their friends. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, definitely a great idea. So th- there's two things I want to say. One, I just want to go back to the, the plan and the layers and the flipping and then getting to the end. Because I just wanted to say again, that moment of when your clients go, oh, <gasps> It's just amazing that you can convey or get out of them that kind of reaction with something that's just flat in front of them. Really, a white background with something that they understand, even if they can't completely visualize the 3D aspect of it, they understand that something very special is about to happen for them. And I, I just as you were talking, I just kept thinking, they understand, even if they don't understand it, (laughs) they understand that something special is taking place. And the other thing that Neil and I were kind of talking about, he had this, Neil, you had a great point. Congratulations. Oh, wow. About the fact that what you do really goes to show that you don't have to spend $5,000, $10,000 on software. So I think a lot of us are really getting sucked into the idea and we've, we've looked at them um, but we're getting sucked into this idea that you have to throw out thousands and thousands of dollars of money in order to be a quote good yeah. landscape designer to convey an idea, right? To convey an right. idea and be like good at it. Yeah, it's um, and I'm sure you've seen his account, but I, th- I think his name is Danny Wang, and mm-hmm. he <laughs> will have a drawing with 
a blue Sharpie or maybe even an orange uh, marks a lot, you know, where he's like, here's the pool, <laughs> here's the patio. <laughs> and then built, it is just like the most fantastical, amazing thing. And um, that's great because he has the ability and he has, you know, he's the installer. So he, he knows what he sees, and he, but he can convey that to the client that mm -hmm. way. I have to do just a little bit more because I need to get that point across to either the homeowner or the installer um, to kind of see that vision. But another thing that I do is um, I always put together a Pinterest board with plants and hardscape ideas and that type of thing. So nice. as we're looking at the plan and I run through the plant list, and this goes back to the love of plants and plant porn, I'll be like, okay, so this symbol here, this is this is silver-edged whorehound, and this is going to be this nice little matting silver perennial at the base of this um, dark green manzanita that's going to be your evergreen plant through here, and then you're going to have the big bold leaves of the yucca coming up through it and behind it. So kind of take them from standing back at the street and seeing that elevation just through words and then pointing to it on the plan and over here in the corner you're going to have these three trees that are framing the side of the home and this will be your evergreen shrub through the center and then you're going to have your seasonal interest with your grass you know that's going to give you lots of movement in the fall color and they do they get really excited and i teach them how to use a scale which... i'm getting really excited i'm do you see the big smile on my face i'm sitting here i'm like i'm excited as you're talking yes so you, you teach him to use a scale. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah. And I need to, um, yesterday I was so embarrassed because I had two engineer scale in my bag and I, I hadn't taken my architect and I did it in eighth inch scale. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I did this, but I have taken to um, buying them in bulk so that when I hand off the plan too, they have a scale that they can just then go ahead because I know um, she was like, so they're going to know that this is three feet by five feet for this. And I'm like, yes, because it's all measured and it's scale and here's the scale here and here's how you use the scale. And she's like, just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> yes, it is. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that must be really eye-opening for people that aren't, you know, used to a scale. I yeah. love that. And, and along those lines of, you know, what do you actually need to be successful in, getting people to understand your ideas, you know, I, we do, we've really backed away from rendering. And I think a lot of that just has to do, I think with time constraints and the fact that we're designing and building. So you just blame it on COVID. But a lot, a lot of my time is spent once the design is dealt with and the design proposals are dealt with and then the estimating is dealt with. It doesn't leave a lot of time. So I think that what we have found really works for us is, and we have the portfolio now, is to kind of go into our imagery and say, well, it will be like this, except we'll change this. Or being able to show images of what we're thinking has also been, I think, a very helpful way for us where we haven't had to kind of go out necessarily and buy that super expensive software. Yeah, I think Photoshop for us is just enough, too, to kind of get that 3D feel. Um as yeah. well but even with that for for so photoshop we, or sketchup oh did i say photoshop SketchUp, SketchUp sorry yeah. even for what where where we kind of struggle is um i think just about every project we work on has a lot of topography and grade changes and rolling hills and it's that just doesn't come across yet with my limited experience with this sketchup kind of format so i think that's why the hand sketching is is better for us 
the loose sketching. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, that section elevation you did the other day was fantastic. Those sections are fun. Yeah. Yeah, we don't do enough of those. But even yeah, I don't. Go ahead. I don't either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one of the one of the things we can do, and I can that one wasn't, but that was just kind of a quick idea. But sometimes what we'll do if we want to get the scale right quickly is we can kind of draw out the the baseline, you know, the ground plane and CAD, and then kind of sketch up yeah. with pencil off of that. Kind of quick mm-hmm. and dirty, but it, it does convey convey scale pretty well. Yeah, I do a lot of that. That's about the extent of my drawing skills <laughs> these days. <laughs> you lose them really You do. Quick, I used Sarah. to be a whole lot better than uh, I am now, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and I have to say the rendering, going back to that, I do that for me. That's <laughs> not necessarily something that I'll, I'll bid my time, but I usually go over on rendering. That's usually something that I it has to have it for me. Like it's not finished until it has it. And I don't know if that's a mindset from school and um, five quarters of drafting and being gathered around a table. And, you know, my, my professor was in his late seventies, early eighties, and was just an amazing guy, but like, where are your directional arrows? (laughs) And (laughs) this line weight needs to be heavier. And what's happening over here? Yeah. If I don't know what it says, how, how am I supposed to know what this is? And so putting the color on it really defines everything. And and honestly, it's something I think I throw in as a freebie where I'm like, I just have to go finish that on my desk before I send it off because it's just, that's how it has to be done for me. Well, I'm sure it helps with the, the cell. You know, you've already sold your time and your services, but the sell of the final space and that it gets people super excited and they want to see it through. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, so your your work has been featured in a book, The Plan Graphics for the Landscape Designer. Yeah. That's uh, pretty cool. How did that come to, ha- to be? So apparently, um, Tony Bertowski, who was a teacher at Trident Technical College, I believe, Um, he, I think was going through Instagram and was looking at hashtags and found landscape graphics or rendered landscape graphics. And he emailed me and said, Hey, I'm working on the third edition of my book and would really love to feature some of your work. And I had just gotten back into drawing again. Um, I had taken a break off when the kids were young, you know, taking some time away from it. So I had just started my business back up here and got into it. And I was like, I got that email and I was like, I wonder if this is really legit, (laughs) (laughs) you know, enter Google. I started Googling and I found his first and second editions of the book. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I had this book when I was in school. We had, um, you know, Booth and his residential landscape architecture, and we had landscape graphics by Grant Reed and, um, Lynn, isn't that a, a big one? Lynn? Yeah. First name. Pl- yeah. Lynn. And plan in, um, section drawing by Wang. And when I saw Tony's book and started flipping through it, I was like, Oh, this is everything you need to know to draw from beginning to end. This is fantastic. So just emailed him back and said, yeah, what do you need? And he said, I just need pictures of your stuff. And I said, okay. And, cool. um, I was like, honored because these are these are authors the books that I have I just completely and totally cherish and still right. pour over and still read them from from the cup co- from cover to cover because it's like there's so much knowledge in there of someone who's 
who's done it that it's just so inspiring. So yeah, that was a really cool thing. And then someone just contacted me, a professor of landscape architecture in Turkey, the day before they had their big earthquake um, and said, I would really love to use your stuff in my teaching course if you would if you would be willing to do it and I still have to get back to him but again you know Google like is this for real <laughs> right 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 me <laughs> that's amazing now do you think he found you for, through Instagram as well because again yeah, that kind of speaks to wow. the power of Instagram right yeah that was yeah. one of my questions was how does how does Instagram work for you that's amazing is it yeah. is it is it getting you customers as well it is um and I think because of the tags that I use in Boise Okay. People will see it and be like, oh my gosh, I've gotten several emails that are like, oh my gosh, I've walked by that house or I've driven by that oh, house cool. and that's your work. You know, you have to come over. You have to come over. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, so yeah, that, and the other thing that it's done for me has been seeing other people's work. Like, I think I found out about you guys because just some random hashtag that I follow, you had posted about your first car and going to work and it totally took me back to you know my first car and going to work and it was a stick shift and you know 255 both the windows down and so just finding people who had that commonality of the experience of kind of coming up in this industry and a virtual gathering around a drafting table to see other people's work and see how they solve problems has just been amazing and the most inspiring thing. I always say I have no coworkers because it's just me. I'm a one woman show. But when I see, you know, people like Pierce or you guys or Leslie at Whole Gardens Northwest and see how they solve problems, I I found my people and I'm just That's so happy cool. that I did. That's cool. For all for all the the flack I think that we give social media and it's well deserved. Certain platforms are you know, more, I don't know, invasive in our lives than others. But um, Instagram, I think, is, is pretty special. Uh, just like you said, you, you kind of find your community. You find that inspiration through others, other people that are doing it. Um, and, and I'm sure if people reached out to you, I think you alluded to earlier, um, for advice or, or guidance or just little tips and these sorts of things. Have you had those? What are some of those cool experiences you've had? Um, there's been several people that have contacted me and said, you know, I really love hand drawing and it's something that I want to pursue and, you know, how should I do it? And I'll, I'll set up a Google photos album of the books that I reference and oh, say, cool. check out these books. Even if you can't buy them, go check them out from the library and just practice the drawing them, just practice the, the concepts that are in them. And you're going to put your own touch on it, your own style, and you're going to get better. It's just, it's just a lot of practice. Um, definitely the working in a garden center to know your plants yeah, is a huge yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, I think we all a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and a lot of it is kind of a therapy session too. Um, how do you handle your time in between family and running your business? Huh because this business is kind of a caretaking business. You know, you're taking care of your clients and your customers to make sure that they have a good experience. But then you also have to do that at home. And like with the kids, they don't care what you have to say. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, you still have so to make it's time just real easy to bring you down a notch, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny you bring that up. That was, I mean, we had a, I kind of had a question earlier on, um, we sort of skipped that, but 
this industry is so demanding and especially for someone like where you live and where we live, where I trust it's just as seasonal for you as it is for us. So we have a very set amount of months that we can truly work and build. And then we have a sort of a lull in the winter, but when things are actively being built, it is a very, very intense schedule because you're trying to cram it all in. And so, yeah, there's always that question of how do you balance owning your own business with the seasonality of it that makes it so intense and then still give your family time. And yourself time. And yourself time. Which is Samantha's which, problem. Well, Samantha, you guys you guys did the podcast on <laughs> yoga and I had yeah. practiced yoga before um, for, you know, eight to 10 years. And when I started the business back up, I had let my practice go. And after listening to your um, podcast, I was like, you know what? That's time that I can give myself, oh, that I need cool. to give myself. And Good so- I signed up for online classes and Yay, literally awesome. they are held like across the street from the neighborhood, <laughs> but I can be in here drawing in my, in my studio and I can go out, flip open the laptop. I still have that community feeling where I'm like, you know, part of a group um, and sweat it out and work it out. And then afterwards, I'm always like, I feel so much better because I did that for myself. Ah, it's this amazing. Is, this is great. So um, that has been a really nice gift that I have given back to myself. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where we were going with that. No, but. I, no it's just it, that it's hard. I mean, it's and that, hard. that's amazing that you've, that you've done that. It's, I'll make a Yeah, the other, the other thing that I do is I try to stack my plans towards fall and winter. And I do most of my consulting, you know, spring through summer because it does oh, get so sense, yeah. cold out that it's not fun to go stand in someone's yard when it's, you know, five degrees and oh, that's not <laughs> talk fun. about plants. You don't enjoy <laughs> no. that? Oh. Where's you your yardiness? When you're doing your measuring, yeah. your, your, your existing conditions, good Lord, the tape measure's yeah. blowing around. Yeah. They're like, when are you going to come measure? As long as there's not snow on the ground, you know, I like to be there when there's not snow on the ground. Well, you, do, do you measure the site by yourself? Yes. I've got a big tub of measuring tapes. And when I was in my early twenties for every birthday, I would just ask my family members for <laughs> tapes. <laughs> so it's like, I have that personal connection to my measuring tapes, which is crazy. Cool. Um, but I've got my big tub of tapes. And usually when I go on consults, I'll take um, spray paint um, and tapes just in case we need to lay anything out or see how something would look. And I just devote a good chunk of time, depending on how big the property is three, four, five hours to going out and measuring and being there and hearing the neighborhood and hearing the people walk by and hearing the annoying dog in the neighbor's yard that won't stop barking. <laughs> but that's a huge, that's a huge piece of it for me is allowing that time to be in the space and really feel it to be able to design something um, that will direct how you feel in the space. Right, cool. right. So the juices are flowing there. You're already starting to process. Nice. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have a, you know, I do my big piece of bond paper where I'm laying, laying everything out to scale and I'll, I'll start my base map to scale so that, that I can just put my flimsy over the top of it. when oh, I do my very good. That's So I don't have to go back and convert everything off a little piece of paper. So I take my big drawing board. Um, and that has seemed to be the best way, but I'll have a legal pad of paper going at any point in time. I usually have six to 10 legal pads going with different ideas for different clients, but wow. I'll have my legal pad out there and I'll be making notes like, oh yeah, this neighbor's dog is terrible, or there's a <laughs> hole in the fence on this side, or there's a great view of a tree out the backyard, or, you know, there's an unsightly RV next door that we want to block. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think we're getting towards the end of our questions. I do have a very important question, but I didn't know if you had anything else. Well, to tell. I was I was curious. I know one of the questions I had were the books you recommend. You already nailed that. Um, you nailed a lot of my questions. I didn't even have to ask. This was awesome. Uh, but who are some of your influences that people can go perhaps on Instagram and and check out? Who are the people that inspire you? Graphically well, or Meg, design Magma wise? Design Group. You know, <laughs> oh, shocks. Mm. Um, what? Yeah, what I really miss is the the installation side of it, and oh. um, I want I want more of that. But just short of starting a a section of my company to do that. Um, I just have to go hang out on job sites with <laughs> contractors and installers in my limited time and see that. So I love it for that aspect, um, for what you guys do, seeing the physical installation um, and the specifications of things. That's I think that's an area I could really improve in. But as far as looking towards people, um, Barbara in St. Petersburg, Russia, so Varvedo, um, land design she does amazing drawings and renderings she has switched over to more more folio trace at this point in time but she was doing hers by hand when i found her mm -hmm. um, leslie at whole gardens northwest okay. out of eugene her and her husband have a company very similar to yours where she does the designs and then they work on the installation together um and I know you mentioned oh, Pierce, is it Pierce, Pierce B? Pierce B, right? Yeah, Pierce, Pierce Beer Designs. So um, I had come across her account and saw her renderings and just started messaging her like, oh my gosh, what software are you using? Because I hadn't heard of Dynascape at that point in time. And so she's she was just so warm and welcome. And she's like, just call me. So I called her <laughs> and cool. we just chatted on the phone and it was amazing. Um, but she has... Uh, children that are a little bit older and then one that's around my son's age and um, she has been great for just bouncing ideas off of or like problems that we might run into or if she has a question about plants she's a great one to follow too that's awesome yeah, yeah we do I love that her. community I know that <laughs> reminds me though about a question that I did skip because I saw that you have something now called the remarkable tablet yes and I don't really know what that is I wanted to know more about that Okay, so this is, and I just happen to have it sitting right on my drafting table. Um, I've been playing with this so much. So it's an e-ink display. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have apps or programs or anything on it. It is just a drawing tablet. And you can draw in black, white, or gray. It's got um, a menu on the side, just like any drawing program where you can pick if you want a calligraphy pen, a marker, a paintbrush, a highlighter, and then you can choose your line weight if you want thin, medium, or thick, and you can choose your color. Um, it also has an eraser where I sprung for the more expensive pen where I can use the back of the pen for an eraser. Oh, that's cool. You can, yeah, you can select your drawings copy them and then paste them and make them larger or rotate them so that's like what I did with that grass right oh, that's there cool. that's all the same symbol but I used it and then I went over the top to make them just a little bit different with different textures or colors now does it um, create a jpeg or something that you can print from that you can bring into your computer pdf jpeg and there's one other file yeah and you, it just you create a cloud account and it just um, uploads it so you could bring that um, into Photoshop and then render it, say, in Photoshop if you wanted to. 
Probably. Yeah. yeah. So if you draw in one line weight, can you mm-hmm. change the line weight once it's drawn? No. No. Okay. You okay. can erase it if you okay. want to. But I saw your picture and I tried to That's cool. do my version of it. So that was looking at the phone and then looking at yours. That is so cool. Um, but you oh, can David, now, you can, like David you said, drew, you can make that bigger, smaller and rotate it. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. And that was the first day that I got it, of course, mm-hmm. but it's got all these different templates for to-do lists or even perspective drawings. And, um, it's been fun because there's no notifications coming in. I mean, mm, it's literally nice. like taking a pad and I've always got a pad of paper and pencils around or pens around. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try that out. And I really enjoyed it so far. You think you'll head more that way? Probably not. No. Do you draw Probably. on bigger format paper? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Um, so when I'm just sketching for fun like that, for pleasure for myself, it's usually an eight and a half by 11 um, or little sketchbooks. Um, when I'm doing plans for people, it's either 11 by 17, um, 18 by 24, 24 by All 36. Right. And then you just run out and get those scanned, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah, which there needs to be more repographics shops here because there's only two and they're downtown. So it's a half hour there and a half hour back. And oh, then, yeah. of course, when you're waiting for it to get scanned. so We have to go to FedEx. <laughs> That's basically what we have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The most important question of this entire podcast. Here it comes. What is your favorite perennial right now? Oh gosh, favorite. That's so. That's I, really love, I know it's hard. Samantha isn't has it? a favorite, a new favorite one every week. I know. So don't get. It's almost know, a trick question. Don't get isn't trapped, it? Sarah. I know. Be wise to her. Well, I love that um, <laughs> silver-edged whorehound, the Marubium rotundifolium. I have no idea what that is. That's amazing. I'm gonna look it, it up. <laughs> yeah, that's a really cool one. And um, moon carrot. It's a biennial, but it is super cool. Oh. Um, Wow, Cecilary gumnifera or something. So that was the that was the, the best names thing are about awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was the best thing about moving here was all of the new to me plants. Like being a perennial buyer for years and years, you know, I had access to all the cool woodland perennials and anything I could ever want. The funny thing is, is if you ask me that question, I don't even think I could answer it. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I have this so, uh, so many. I'm like, what did I love this year? I don't know. It's like asking you what your favorite song is, right? Right. And then I wouldn't be able to remember the names anyway, <laughs> most likely knowing my brain. Well, Sarah, this has been awesome. We knew it was going to be super fun to talk to you. So we thank you so much. Can you just tell the people where they can find you so I don't mess it up because I usually butcher it when I tell <laughs> try the people. To do it. Tell the people. So I'm on Instagram and I update that the most. And that's at Green Thumb Sam, S-A-M. And also on Facebook. I do have a website, which I will be looking to um, revamp and update this winter. Right. That's, that's exciting. That's always the case with uh, websites. Yeah. Right. In my spare time. Uh, Yeah. And then I'm always hanging out around the Idaho Botanical Garden or any other local nurseries (laughs) or garden centers. And then the book was was Plan Graphics for the the Landscape Designer by Tony Bertoski. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was so good to meet you guys. And thanks for always being available for any questions and for inspiration. I really appreciate it. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please be sure to follow us at Landscapes and Pancakes underscore podcast on Instagram. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment when you listen to this podcast. 
And as always, check out our work and progress on magmadesigngroup.com and magmadesigngroup on Instagram.